In one form or another, worship has always been part of human history here on earth. But have you ever considered what worship will be like in heaven? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to the book of Revelation for a glimpse of how worship will fill the lives of all residents of heaven as seen through the eyes of John. To share his message, Worship in Eternity, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us. We uh, take a look into the future as we uh, open our Bibles to the book of Revelation and talk about what it will be like to worship around the throne of God in heaven. We'll get to that in just a moment. You know, we have some wonderful events coming up in the fall. Uh, these are very special events that uh, will help us celebrate um, a milestone in the history of Turning Point. We're going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina at the PNC Arena on Thursday night, October the 6th, in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center on Thursday, October the 13th, in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena on Thursday, October the 20th, and in Buffalo, New York at the KeyBank Center on Friday, November the 11th. These events all require a ticket, but the tickets are free, and you can get them by going to davidjeremiah.org slash tour. The tickets will be delivered to you in plenty of time for you to enjoy a night with us as we come to your community. We surely do hope you will take advantage of this time so that we can share the wonderful joy of the Lord and community in your area. So many other things are happening. As you know, we take a cruise at the end of the year. It's our conference Caribbean cruise. It leaves in December of 22 and comes back in January of 23. We spend New Year's together aboard a cruise ship in the beautiful blue waters of the Caribbean. I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity and look into it. Uh, Join us for that special event. Right now, I want us to get started with a look into the future as we talk about worship in eternity, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I am reminded that in our services on the Lord's Day, there are three integral parts to what we do. There is the praising of God and the praying to God and the preaching about God. And it is strange and interesting that When we get to heaven, only one of the three survives. As far as we know, there is no prayer in heaven because there is really no need to pray. We are in the presence of Almighty God and we are living in light of his every good wish for us. And so there would be no need to pray in terms of supplication. There would be no need to get into intercession because if we haven't interceded for our loved ones here, it will be too late then. And as hard as it may be for me to accept this, and as glad as it may make you feel, there is not going to be any preaching in heaven either. The Bible says that when I get to heaven, I am going to be unemployed as a preacher because we will know even as we are known, and we will have perfect knowledge in terms of our understanding of the things of God. But there is one of the three that will survive, and that is praising and worshiping the Lord. The Bible says that we are going to spend eternity in our praise and worship of Almighty God. So if that is true, then praise and worship must be a very high priority with the Lord. And it behooves us as his people to take seriously the biblical instruction that we have already been given and to continue to desire in our own hearts to grow in our ability to worship and praise our Creator God. For what we are learning to do down here, we are going to spend eternity doing 
up there. Now in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, we are given just a little glimpse into our eternal worship and praise. It is interesting that the chapter begins by telling us that a door was opened into heaven. John was on the Isle of Patmos, and he looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And John was given the opportunity to look through that door into the very throne room of glory and get a glimpse of eternal praise. And in the process of seeing that, it had a profound effect upon the Apostle John. And if we understand what he saw, and if we comprehend what God wants us to know in light of what he saw, it will have a profound effect on all of us as well. Now the Bible tells us, the book of Revelation tells us that there are occasions when the door into heaven is opened. In fact, the book of Revelation is an interesting book about doors. If you read the letters that are written by John to the seven churches, you remember in the letter written to the church at Philadelphia, John talks about an open door of opportunity. When he writes the letter to the Laodiceans, which is the seventh of the churches, he speaks of another door. And this is quite interesting. The seventh church, the church of Laodicea, represents, according to the scripture, the period of time which will be here on this earth just before the return of the Lord. And the picture in the Laodicean church is of our Lord standing outside the door of the church, knocking, trying to seek entrance into the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear, let him open the door and receive me. In other words, the picture in the Laodicean church is of a church where Christ is on the outside seeking entrance into the inside. If you know anything at all about the ecclesiastical situation of our day, it is not hard to understand how that could happen. It is happening all around us. In the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, there's still another door. And this is the door that is open when Jesus rides forth on a white horse to conquer and to put to rest his enemies and to begin to set up his kingdom on this earth. Here in the fourth chapter, we see John looking through this open door and what he sees is massive worship taking place. It is a marvelous picture. If we're to understand what God would say to us today, we're going to ask the Spirit of God to enliven our ability to see what the scripture portrays in vivid terms so that we can appreciate what John saw and then we can understand what John meant by what he said as he wrote about this occasion. First of all, the key word in this chapter is the word throne. In fact, the word throne is the key word in many respects to the book of Revelation. It is found in the book of Revelation 46 different times. It is found here in the fourth chapter 14 times. The word throne is a word which speaks of sovereignty. It speaks of reign. It speaks of control. And when you read in the book of Revelation so often about the throne of God, it is a reminder to the reader that while chaotic events are taking place on planet Earth, we should not lose sight of the fact that there is a throne in heaven, and as John saw that throne through the open door, somebody was seated on the throne. It was not vacated. It was occupied. It's critical for us in this day of chaos and concern to recognize that while it looks as if Sometimes nobody is at home in the control room of heaven. There is somebody there. He is seated on the throne. He is reigning. He is ruling. That was a very important picture for John to get in virtue of his circumstances on the Isle of Patmos. Now, as John sees that throne, he tries to describe the vision 
that was his. And I need to tell you that his job was very difficult because the primary focus of the throne was God himself. And the Bible says no one has seen God and lived. There is no description of God. Whenever God is presented to us in the scripture in terms of our trying to understand him, it is always symbolically presented. But the symbolism itself can give us a great sense of the nature and personhood of God. Now John says, when he looked into heaven, immediately he was in the spirit and a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now the jasper stone was what we would today call a diamond, a beautiful many faceted diamond that sparkled and glittered in the light. John said that as he looked upon the throne, all he could comprehend was the brilliance of a diamond. And then he says it was accompanied by a sardine stone, which is the complement to our ruby today. So John said that his image of the throne of God, knowing that the person of God was there, all he could comprehend was that it was like the brilliant diamond and ruby on the throne. And he saw the majesty and the beauty of his eternal creator. He said, around about the throne, there was a rainbow. And that rainbow was like an emerald. Think of it now. John saw a diamond and a ruby and an emerald. The beauty of God as best as he could describe it in the imagery of human writing. And the rainbow circled the throne. It wasn't a half rainbow like we see on planet Earth. In heaven, everything is complete. And the rainbow spoke to John, surely, of the covenant relationship that God had with his people. In the book of Genesis, the rainbow was given as a promise after the flood that God would never again destroy the world by water. And now that rainbow circles the throne of God. I haven't thought of this often, but I can't help but think that in the Old Testament, God gave the rainbow to Noah after the judgment had happened. In the New Testament, God gave the rainbow to John just before the judgment was to begin. And I believe it was an encouragement to John to remember that while the awful events of chapter 4 through 19 of the book of Revelation were about to begin, he should never forget that there was still somebody on the throne in glory, that he was the almighty God, and that he was a promise-keeping God, a covenant God, and the very rainbow was a reminder to John of the God who was being worshipped. And then John said that as he looked through the window of heaven and saw God on the throne surrounded by a rainbow, he noticed that there were 24 seats around the throne, all of them occupied by the 24 elders. Now, many folks have argued about the identity of the elders. I think the scripture, if we read it carefully, identifies the 24 elders as representatives of the church of the living God. In fact, if you'll just look over in the eighth verse of the fifth chapter, you will note that these 24 elders are going to sing praise to the Lord. And if we examine the text of their praise song, it's not hard to identify who they are. Notice the eighth verse. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Now watch the text of their song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. 
If that's the text of the song of the 24 elders, I rather suspect they represent the church of the living God. So John saw God on the throne. He saw the rainbow, the emerald rainbow around the throne, the glassy sea that was surrounding the throne. And he saw the 24 elders representing the church of the living God. And he witnessed all of that. And it was an amazing scene to him, one that was overwhelming to him. Then the scripture goes on to say that there were four living beasts there representing all that is mightiest and grandest in creation. They had six wings and eyes and the speaks of their incessant activity. And all of that majestic scene which John saw was a picture of massive, eternal, universal worship. And as he watched the setting, and as he saw that magnificent scene, he was allowed to listen to what was about to happen. And in the last part of the fourth chapter, we hear what took place. And when those beasts, verse 9, gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him, that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and they were created. John was allowed to see and to hear heavenly worship, and he wrote it down in the words that convey to us the magnificence of that occasion. And it helps us to have just a glimpse of what our eternal occupation will be when we get to heaven. We are going to be a part of that great worship experience where forever and ever we bring honor and glory to our God. It won't be something that we are made to do. It will be something that grows out of the very nature of who we are in Christ. And we will find that to be the most joyous experience that we have ever known. There in heaven he saw the Lord seated upon the throne, the picture of his sovereign control of the universe. He saw the elders bowing down and worshiping. He saw the beauty and majesty of heaven. And it's not hard if you can split screen your mind to see John on the Isle of Patmos in the sordid experience of his life and his vision of heaven and glory and the unseen realities of worship and of God Almighty. I cannot help but know and believe in my heart that God gave to John that experience, not only that he might be able to write about it, but that it must have been a glorious and marvelous encouragement in his heart and life. Here he was, discouraged, depressed, wondering what in the world would happen to him in the future. And for just a moment, he was allowed to enter in to the control room of the universe to see God's purpose and plan for all mankind. And what is that purpose? That purpose is that we should worship him and adore him and give honor and glory to his name. In our world, in the world in which we live, we are bombarded with the stimuli of the reality of this world. We go from day to day reading the newspapers, hearing the news reports, watching the events of the world, and we are constantly being reminded of this reality, and this reality is not good. But I am here to tell you that this reality, which is so very real to us, is judged by the unseen reality of heaven, 
and for many of us, when we talk about the reality of God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and our faith, that seems like that's less real than the reality we've just discussed. But according to the scripture, it is not less real. If I can use terms which don't have comparative ability, it is more real. Because that which is eternal is real. And this which we know here is not eternal, it is temporal. And that which is eternal sits in judgment on that which is temporal. And what John saw when he saw that worship scene in heaven, he was ushered into the presence of God. And through that experience of worship, everything that was going on in his life was immediately brought into the perspective of the eternal God. And I say to you that if there is any one byproduct of worship that grabs my attention, that is it. We come to our services on the Lord's Day, many of us out of extremely difficult circumstances. Some of you are out of work. Some of you are going through the most difficult time of your life. You come to church and we say, let's stand up and worship God. And in your heart you say, I don't feel like worshiping God. And yet if you understand the dynamic of this principle, it is in those moments when you feel less like worshiping God that you must worship God. Because in the very process of elevating your praise to the Lord, you are lifted into the presence of God. And when you are in the presence of God, it's like God just takes everything that's out of sync and he just tweaks it. And all of a sudden it starts to make sense. Because you see it in light of the eternal sovereignty of Almighty God. I remember when I was teaching the Lord's Prayer some years ago. I don't know how long ago that was, but we went through Matthew 6 and went through all the elements of the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, I almost didn't want to do that because it's so familiar to us. What could we learn from it? And I learned a great deal from my own personal study, but the one most important lesson I learned from teaching the Lord's Prayer was this one, that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them a prayer which bookended worship on either end of the prayer. Now watch this. He said, when you pray, be sure you pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Get the eternal perspective in praying before you do anything else. And then he said, when you end the prayer, say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you start with eternal perspective and you end with eternal perspective in your praying, then in the middle you can say, give us this day our daily bread. In the middle, you can say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the middle, you can pray what is in your heart, but when you have surrounding it the perspective of who God is, then prayer can lift you up out of the mires of your own situation and put you on solid ground. And I remember saying to you then that if you don't pray like that, you will learn what I learned some years ago, that there is a way in which you can pray where you are more depressed when you get done praying than when you started. How many of you have ever had that experience? You see, if you just come to the Lord and you don't enter into his presence and you just rehearse a grocery list of everything that's wrong with your life, you have just driven that down one layer deeper into your heart and mind and now you are more convinced of your difficult situation than you were before you prayed. But if you come, first of all, to bring honor and glory and praise to the Lord, if you see through that window in heaven that God is in charge and he is reigning and ruling, and then you bring your petitions to him, then everything starts to make sense. And that's why when you pray that way, when you worship that way, when you get done, and I don't want to make this an emotional thing, but it's true, you just feel better. How many of you know what it's like to feel better when you get done praying? 
The burden's been lifted off of you. It's been delivered to the Lord, and you have a sense about God that he is able to do above and beyond all that you ask or think, and you stand up a little straighter, and you walk a little better, and you know that you're not in this thing alone, and that somehow while this doesn't make sense to you, it makes absolute sense to God, and God's in control, and you've worshiped God, and you feel akin to God, and that's the joy and privilege of what it means to worship him. And that's what happened to John. John looked up through the window of heaven from the Isle of Patmos and all of a sudden he saw God and he was seated on the throne. I want to tell you, friends, this world confuses me. I read the papers and just about every week there's some kind of jolt to my system. Everywhere you turn, things are just out of perspective. And until you bring all of that to the throne room of glory and see it in light of who he is and where he is, nothing makes sense. And so I need to say to you as we learn about worship that it is not enough just to come here on the Lord's Day and when the choir and orchestra lead us in massive praise to the Lord, you rejoice in that and you say, my, that was wonderful, I really enjoyed that. That's good, but all we're trying to do is provide lessons corporately that will help you to learn how to praise the Lord individually, and it's kind of a thing that's a circular experience. As we learn how to praise God better here, we learn how to praise God better in our own private lives, and as we learn how to praise God better in our own private lives, we come back here and praise God better than we ever have before. In the act of worshiping and praising God, We become healthy believers. We become healthy Christians because we're not blown about with every wind of experience and circumstance, but we see life from God's perspective and we can walk an even course and maintain a positive direction in our life. You see, the things which are so important to us, apart from God, oftentimes when we put them in God's presence, they just sort of seem unimportant. Have you noticed that? You see, Jesus is saying to John, I want you to know things aren't as they appear to be. I'm about to show you things as they really are. I'm about to walk you into the throne room of the universe and show you genuine reality. Things are not out of control. The devil has not won. Evil has not triumphed. Man is not a victim of cruel chance. And we are not living on a large ball that is about to explode and send us into oblivion. John, I want you to walk through the door and get a glimpse of reality. And that is Jesus, God, seated on the throne in control. And worship does that for us. That's why so many of the worship songs are about his majesty and how he reigns and how he's in control. When we worship God like that, it just transforms who we are as people. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, what happens in heaven is a pattern for what God wants to happen on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, he said that we should seek his will on earth as it is in heaven. We should seek to worship on earth as we worship in heaven someday. We'll learn more about that tomorrow as we grab hold of two lessons called Worshiping the Lamb, what the worship will actually look like and feel like, perhaps even sound like, when we get to heaven. I hope you are with us through this series from the beginning. There's a book that you may want to get that will help you understand worship. The um, book has been around for a little while, but it's still very fresh in terms of its message. 
And I'd love for you to have this book, My Heart's Desire. You can get it by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you will find a way to order it, and you can get the CD package and the study guide to go along with it. Our resource for the month of September, however, is a beautiful calendar called Moving Mountains. This 2023 Turning Point calendar is exclusive 14 months. We've added the first two months to the calendar, November and December of this year. And that's why we offer it in September, so you can get a head start planning for the events that holidays produce and then get ready to move into the new year. This beautiful calendar, which features photography of some of the great mountain ranges, this beautiful calendar is yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month. So when you send your gift, simply say, Dr. Jeremiah, here's my gift for September. Please send me the calendar. It will come to you in kind of an oversized package, but you'll love it. You want to put it in a prominent place where you can enjoy it and where others can share that joy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. A man traveled a great distance to meet and interview a distinguished scholar. 
This scholar had written many books, had a library of thousands of volumes, had traveled extensively, and conversed with some of the world's wisest people. So the first question the interviewer asked was, from all your knowledge, what is the one thing most worth knowing? The scholar smiled and gently answered, there are only two things most worth knowing. One is that I am a great sinner, and the other is that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. That scholar not only possessed knowledge, but he possessed great wisdom as well. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the true knowledge of God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.